So, live. We're here live. Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Andy, my buddy. Brian is here as evidenced by the train. There's the train saying Hello. Brian Betts is here just for this short period of time. He's leaving on Thursday to go all the way to the other side of town. I'm Eric Seepin, and we had a weird podcast, but a good podcast, um, talking about Tucson. Yep. It's what Tucson needs. Um, yeah, there's a lot about what Tucson needs in the church community, some thoughts in general. About church planting. Um, about, yeah, church planting. Also a little bit about business and how people feel about Tucson's future in general. And so, but if you're not a Tucsonan, I have a feeling you could layer some of these thoughts onto your own city and um, and get you know get your, yourself thinking about anywhere in the world, frankly. So even those of you in Japan, don't tune out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stick with us. Definitely there just might a couple be something things. Good. Well, number one, remember to like us on any of the number of podcasts, uh, Platform. promoters, platforms yeah. we're on. Like, we're on Spotify now. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on the iTunes app, the Google Play app. On the Google. We're there. So And, of course, faithoverbreakfast.com. Yeah, and faithoverbreakfast.com. Hey, hey, this is Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Andy from Mission Church. Can you hear me right now? Is this recording? No, it's not. Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. This is Brian Best, the guest host for today. Best the guest. Guest the best. Best guest host of today. Okay. I'm with Pastor Andy Littleton and Pastor Eric Seepin of the Mission Church in the Village Church. I just split it up right there. And we are here to talk about, actually we don't know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what Tucson needs because we know everything and this is the perfect place for you to find out. But yeah, how are you both doing? We're doing good. We're moving the mic I'm away. I'm taking from this you. mic away from you now. <laughs> for good, re- for good reason. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, yeah. Do We're we... promoting you to executive producer. Oh, is that what we want to use as our intro right there? No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> we want to do something like, "Hey, it's Faith Over Breakfast with Andy and Eric from those wacky churches, the Village and Mission Church." You have to figure the out churches which people leave. Yeah, they do. Do they leave them? Well, they like our podcast about leaving, apparently. Oh, they so do. maybe if they haven't left, they're planning to leave. They want eventually. to live out that podcast. That yeah, they're asked. they're like, what can they, What can we learn about how to leave a church? A church. Yeah. Well, well I, I just like to say that we, we want to be authentic here. We've gotten a lot of feedback. And uh, some of the feedback was that we need to stay on point, stop talking about our life. So, so moving on. Uh, our topic this, this uh, morning is what Tucson needs. What Tucson needs, but even more importantly than that topic, we have Brian Betts, who used to be our host, who's now, our, at least today, our official intern and then was promoted to executive producer. And he got back from Korea. If you listened to last week's Talking Culture, Faith Over Breakfast... Uh, podcast, you heard about that, but he paid because you're writing a book uh-huh. to be on this podcast and kind of be the guest host, but also be the guest um, 
interviewer, guest topic guy, and so. Can I talk about your screen, your your uh, home screen on your phone? Yeah, maybe we could post my home screen on uh, the, uh, the website. Website. Yeah. 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 So yeah. let's talk about it. It is a writing wheel. It just popped up, and I'm. This is the weirdest home screen I've ever yeah, seen. It's a writing wheel. I do a lot of uh, you know counseling and soul care, and it's very hard for people to really connect to their core emotions. And so it has like the core emotions, and then what kind of moves out of them. So you got anger, and then kind of anger it says hurt, threatened, hateful, mm-hmm. mad, aggressive, frustrated, distant. Critical. So it helps people kind of think through maybe where they're at. My background screen is a picture of my family. Um, I had a background screen forever designed by my daughter, and I um, just found this handy to look at when I'm... The word that jumped out was anger and disgust and then fear and then sad. And I didn't even notice surprise or happy. I just thought, <laughs> Eric's insane. I, I saw that and I thought... This is how I orient myself. Is it? Yes. Wow. I think that's really Every beneficial. morning when you wake up in the morning... I Why am I angry? So, so Brian, it's because I'm mad, which is because I'm enraged. That's what this wheel is. I was like. starting because I got a text this morning saying that Brian had gone to Hillsong, and you know that we talk about Hillsong at least every podcast, and that he was going to kind of report on it, but he didn't go to Hillsong. Can we talk about how you don't read your texts very carefully? Uh, do you know how many texts I get? Probably a ton. I can see your notifications. And I think the mail itself is into the thousands. Right? Unanswered yeah. text, and text, 323. Uh, that's, that's unanswered emails, 7,602. Yes. I do have a question, though, and I know it's a little off topic of that, but I was curious, because you have mentioned kind of both your hesitations about Hillsong coming to Tucson and kind of concerns about megachurches, but you've also, you like megachurches. Eric I remember loves you talking about Yeah. So, I, and I wasn't sure if that was sarcastic when I heard it last on the podcast. About Hillsong? Uh, about just megachurches, about how you love megachurches. Um, do so, I love megachurches? Yes. Uh, and I wanted to ask what you guys <laughs> liked about megachurches. Well, I'll tell you, I'm fascinated with uh, leadership and organizational structure. So when I, gotcha. when I think about megachurches, I mean, that's what I look at and try to figure out how they do those things and because they're fascinating when I go to a mega church I tend my number one thought tends to be how how do these light systems work and how is that guy up front so happy all the time I don't tend to I tend to be very fascinated but very um, I tend to think about God very little I, I tend to be more like so, so intrigued about all the various think things about God going on. Very little, yeah. Or as God being in little, like I didn't understand. Or is it because your name's there's little. A, there's not. A, there's not a lot of thoughts about God. It's a lot of thoughts about about lights and how is this? How does this guy smile for thirty five straight minutes while speaking? I don't get that. And how and and or other things like did they? How hard was it to get a worship team with? Every, like, we have a thin woman and a slightly potentially overweight woman up front. We have an African-American. We have a Native American. And then there's a token smiley white guy in the middle. How do they assemble this worship team? Do these people actually go to this church? Or is this... Are they getting paid? Are they getting paid? Like, is this... Because at our church, I couldn't... 
the musicians don't represent every segment of society and I can't just stand them up front as if they like I can't I don't know how to do that and then I walk away just thinking about all those things and then looking at the building and going this is bigger than Walmart yeah yeah stuff like that is what I think about like I think Rhetoric and speech making is one of my favorite things. It's odd because I was a kid who was totally afraid to stand in front of people. I love the, how uh, a speech is made. And in mega churches, these are speech makers. They, 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 they do a very good job. And they're masters of rhetoric. And I love like breaking down their sermon and how they kind of put together a rhetorical speech and how they do that out of scripture. Um, it's fascinating to me. So so now on this, on this what Tucson needs... So I've read the two articles. Did you read two articles? Yes, and I read wrote them. So yeah. So yeah. So there, I I spread around to all of us a couple articles. They're actually, Can a guy that I know. On our website? Um, yeah, I'm going to link those as sure. well as whatever articles I end up bringing up. If I don't, then it's whatever. But I'm wow. going to bring out any sort of resources that I we are that are discussed. Yeah. So these articles don't have to do with church, but they're. I, I would say this is a guy I know, guy I respect. Who? What is the um, name of the articles? I don't remember. But the point is. Um, they are getting at the fact that Tucson needs needs to change and needs to like in a way like refine itself and needs to get more attract more professionals and do more um, nice things. Tucson's greatest export, which has to do with educated people leaving and for the heart Fourth Avenue's heart transplant, which has to do with people complaining uh, about upgrading about 4th Avenue. Yeah, yeah, they're planning to put a 14-story building on 4th Avenue in place of where Maloney's is currently. Right, and then the Flycatcher, another you know place that if you've grown up around Tucson, it used to be plush, but this is a place that many of us have gone to, you know, oh, gone hey, to shows and had a drink plush, at. It was Sweetwater Cafe, which was this rocking cafe that had the best salads ever. So when the phrase rockin' cafe that has the best salads ever comes out of somebody's mouth, you know you're talking to somebody from Generation X. X thank you very much. <laughs> I thought you were going to say coming from Tucson. Yeah, or but, coming from or, Tucson. Or that. Yeah. A Generation X from Tucson. Yeah. yeah. Gen- an X tucson Yeah. Maybe the, I'll try to find some pictures of Sweetwater and put them up. So, so th- this guy, who, who I respect, who does happen to be a believer, these aren't written at, you know, from that. He's not writing Christian right. articles. No, no, he's no, just no. writing, it's kind of critique. From the medium podcast, yeah, right? uh, or, or uh, the web, web blog, web blog. and uh, and so he's coming from a perspective that I've heard among many Christians, honestly, in our city. So I know not everybody here is from Tucson, but maybe you can layer your city onto this idea. So Tucson's changing. I just got a, I just got a, I got contacted by a guy who is going to do a gentrification talk and wants to know if our church will partner with that. So he would be on the other end of this spectrum potentially who's worried about you know where Tucson's going that we're displacing people and that things are changing in the wrong direction but then in like wealthier circles in Tucson there's this general feel that like our city doesn't get it and we don't do nice things and we don't appeal to professionals in general right so it's hard to find a job here was one of the themes yep yeah. uh, that we're bigger than Miami uh, Florida, wow. but the thirty third largest city, something like that. Yeah. We're in the thirties, yeah, uh, which is a big city, and yet we don't have the same. But like way down, like two hundred and something, in yeah, getting a job, yeah, like, yeah, which how, I, which I believe that. we're in the we're number ten of the top ten distressed cities. Yes, yeah, yeah. I I mean I know Eric 
here loves a good statistic. So I enjoyed this, these articles. Course, yeah, I I'm a st- statistic skeptic for whatever reason. I have no good reason. I just every time I hear a statistic, I'm like, who says? I'm both. How do we know? I'm both. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but right because you're you know skeptical. Because I argue about older everything. Older millennials. Yeah. Older. I mean, yeah. You're an older millennial. You're a younger millennial. Yeah. Right. I'm skeptical. I'm a middle gen. I'm still thinking about leaving the church. I'm yeah, so he's, he's, he's so skeptical about it. <laughs> he's not really skeptical. He's just unsure about either side. Yeah. It should be. It couldn't be. Maybe. I don't know. Hey. Let's figure I don't, it out together. I don't know. This is, could be a table. It might be a table. I don't know whose table it is. No, this is a table. Okay, we're good. Then. Yeah. It might be a desk. Two oh. desks put together. It is a desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a drawer. Look at that. <laughs> what you is a desk? Failed. What is a table? Yeah. Um, First time for everything. Yeah, so the question is, do we agree with his uh, sort of thought on the fact that we need to go ahead and begin to create opportunities for uh, more economic, um, what do you call it, economic uh, growth by bringing in larger companies that fit into our theme. So, like, we're the bike capital of the world, yet we have no you know, major bicycle companies headquarters in our right. town. We're, like... A solar city, and and we could lead on the green side of things, and yet we have no major green companies within our, our uh, city. So, he's but we saying, do have a lot of dirt, and Caterpillar is building their new headquarters here. So yes. we are capitalizing on our dirt dirt resource that that we have. Yes. <laughs> is that I, uh, my, my is that how that is, works? As a Tucsonian, I partially agree with him, but the other thing is, Tucsonians have their own thing, and they're going to do it their own way, and. Maybe the economy's depressed. Maybe it's not. Uh, you can figure out how to survive here if this is that important to you. Um, yeah, and he's not talking about people who are like trying to stay around and figure out how to survive. And I think there are a lot of Tucsonans that have done that. They've figured it out. I yeah. was I was on a walk with Mike from our church this morning. We were brainstorming all the weird, creative ways you can figure out how to make a living. Right. That's just who we are. We think that way. Um, and Tucson might work for those folks. Right. But for folks who, like, are just like, I want to graduate college with a degree and get a good job, Tucson isn't so much the great place. Right. And interestingly, I think this dovetails into stuff like Hillsong because, you know, Hillsong, in my mind, and, like, some of these, like, bigger mega churches are the churches that appeal to this, to the to kind of this successful corporate educated class. Right. No, I would totally agree with you. Yeah. What do you think, Brian? Well, one of the things about that 14-story building that they want to build is that they would have local businesses, like, underneath it. That, so yeah. it wouldn't be the, uh, these big corporate entities that are, like, invading that space. So it would still keep kind of the hopeful, – the, hopefully the feel that 4th Avenue has. But, but, but the local Tucsonans are like, that's a load of garbage. Oh, no, no. And I don't, I don't blame them yeah. for that at all. But uh, Or they, some of them, I should say. They opened up one of my favorite burger places in California here in Tucson called The Habit. It's on Craycroft. I like it, yeah. I hate that place. <laughs> I love The Habit. It's a good place. I really, not as good in the amount, but I like The that. burgers yeah. are yeah. too big, and it's not that interesting. That's my opinion. I think it's Burger King on steroids. And, right. I, sure, I can I agree really with that like statement. I really like Burger King, to be fair. But See, like, and that, that's what has... I have no interest in it. One of the things about it was, I was thinking, because I really love that it came here... And there's Gray's right next door, which is local, local Tucson, and I love Gray's. Yeah, and habit. it's one of those things where it's like, I love that more people are like bringing these unique places 
that are from outside. But see, the best burger place in Tucson was Sherry's. I've never been to Sherry's. I know. I mean, it's what, it's what, just hard. To, well, the number one place <laughs> is Ziva's. They got ranked number one year after year. I think that was a lie. Oh, man. Have you had their yes. hamburger? Oh, man, their hamburger. I still haven't. So good. I need they, to they go closed there. Down. It was a, they closed down? It was a... That place baffles me. It was like a Mexican food place that has yeah, it's the, the best the burrito best in the world, too, right? Burger. They, no. Okay. I don't know. I still have a hard time believing that they, that for all these... Burger was so good. It, it always seemed fine. like an old sign. Really, it was really? a bold sign. It's like when you walk up and the place says, world's number one coffee. I'm like, see, I'm the skeptic. I'm just like, no. No, it's not. Every, every little place that serves Folgers says that. Well, the burger but was okay. In, in blind taste tests, Folgers beans. How do you number know one that? and number two? Because do you, where, do you, where, do you, where do you find this okay, information? So, well, because uh, I was at Coffee Exchange, and they and they handed me like I, the people who work there. You get these corporate magazines, right, where they do all this stat stuff, and so they have all of these coffees in these blind test tastes, test blind test tastes. Taste right? test. Taste test, whatever. Anyway, and they show which ones win and where they come from and all that kind of stuff. And Starbucks is like way down the line when you do a blind Man. taste test. It's very interesting. To our followers, I'm sorry. I have caused this meandering session. I It is my well, fault. It's all, it's, well, it's all good. But the reason why I had mentioned the habit and stuff like that and why it excited me that it was coming was the hope would be that it just increases a demand for other places locally to be like oh i need to make my burger place better or i need to make a new burger place that's even better and just to like kind of keep pulling people have habit bring people from outside because i have a lot of friends that would like they live in california and they're miserable because it's super expensive and they're thinking of oregon and washington uh-huh. uh but you can't it, go which, to washington it's really expensive yeah but well unless you live inland in yeah. some small town yeah and that's what they're Where there's looking no jobs. at yeah yeah but, no, there's um, no <laughs> but there's some places that kind of like have that balance in those communities where they're not in those like very liberal because they're personally like avoiding those areas because there's high population, but uh, just good cities that they can end up in. But they, and they would move to Tucson, but because there's not one of it's the heat, but the other thing is like there aren't a lot of jobs. So if more opportunities for if you could work jobs, a habit. Flipping burgers. Well, well, let's let's talk about like uh, Raytheon. Over the next few years, they're trying to hire five thousand engineers. Right. That's going to bring a ton of money yeah. into our community. You got Caterpillar coming um, or the already. Amazon distribution. Amazon center. distribution center. Yeah, yeah that we're stuff not, we're not helps Phoenix big time. because we're not. I mean, we are trying to keep the small town feel. We're actually poorly managed in the in the. I mean, we all know that as Tucsonans. Actually, the more I so running my business, like just getting our taxes paid, like it's hard. Like we've been shaking our heads. Like we've had some like weird complications with the system and stuff. And it's like, how is this all so clunky? With state or city? Uh, well, they're now combined. So no. So so it, it's it's all. So anyway, I thank you, everyone down there. You're doing a great job with what you've got i'm sure but it's clunky it's it's hard yes and so i i don't doubt with that like my one little interaction there just trying to pay my taxes that things are mismanaged it seems it's not a well-oiled machine around here yeah well 
I know you hate the whole statistic thing and like where do you get it? No, I love it. But, I just don't know. Rod and I did, it's, it's did some initial like demographic studies of Tucson, right? Um, and we've done them over the years. And the thing that we found was that forty percent of Tucson residents inside the city are Hispanic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that a large population of both Hispanic and Anglo who live inside the city are actually lower middle yeah. class to lower class in their financial yeah. status. So inside the city, we have poverty, whereas if yeah. you look at the demographics on the, you know, outside There's like a the big city, circle of wealth around the city. Yes. Which is definitely the case. Yeah. Right. Which you're not going to find in, two, in Phoenix. Right. It's not that kind of structure. Yeah, there's more wealth in the city. Right, there's, um, there's it's more. Well, yeah, and and so, and that what happens though in these kinds of things is you know, well, when it starts moving in, what does it do? It pushes poverty out. It doesn't solve poverty. And that's problems. and that's gentrification. Yes. So I foresee I foresee a, a future ring around the city of poverty, and I, I foresee it just reversing. And part of that has to do, in my mind as well, with like the poor construction of homes in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. The value of those is going to tank, and so that eventually people like who are who are less resourced in the city will move out there for those values, and those property values will continue to decrease. Um, anyway, that's my, and I bet that happens in a bunch of cities. Like the poverty flips from in to out. So, yeah. I don't know. That's my guess. What do you think the church's role is in that? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I mean, I think at least where you and I are, and we might vary in the way we express it, but we're very much committed to locality. Right. Right? I mean, you were Midtown before you guys merged and shifted. because, and that, So your whole name indicated you value a section of the city. Yeah. You feel called to a section of the city. Um, we've always had the mentality of not who's your neighbor, not necessarily what part of the, yeah. know, the city, but like you're placed in this space for a reason. So knowing the microculture of your neighborhood is important as right. you walk as a missionary in the community. So yeah, thinking about what's happening, I mean, this is going to change things. Yeah, like I, I foresee our because. Broadway, which we're right off of, the main drag, has been kind of depressed for a little while, but they're going to redo it, and it's going to revitalize, so we're aware that we're going to be walking with a community in transition over the next 15, 20 years, um, and that people who can afford to live live and have a business there now won't be able to in the future, um, and that's going to be an interesting time to be you know, there as the church, and you can just like kind of not engage with that. Um, or like there are churches I know that have really gotten behind like the community and fought against like the types of businesses that they don't want to move right. in and or churches that just wholesale just go like oh cool wealthier people are coming now we get more money um, which may or may not be true but I, you know there's you can either just kind of like be in a spiritual malaise where you do nothing or you can really try to fight for the the people who are going to be displaced or who are on the low end that nobody's looking out for, who don't go to the neighborhood meetings or the city council meetings. Or you can just utterly champion progress. Um, I think, like, for us, one of the things that we talk about in leadership, not so much with the whole church, is that we talk about the vow of, um, what is it called? Now I'm in a blank. We talk about this all the time, and I don't know what it is. Uh, The vow of stability. And so our church is committed 
to being a stable place yeah. as everything changes around, as change happens. Um, and so there's a set of people who, who've made that vow. Um, and it's more, I think, like, even when it comes to church planning, I think church planning is going to change, especially in cities like ours, to a more monastic or a more monastery-oriented thing, is that you put down a, a monastery and you live out rhythms, however you define those rhythms, but you stay to those rhythms together so that as people come in, they can trust that there's a stable place as they're going through transition. Right. And we walk with them in transition. And they become part of us, and so maybe they pick up the rhythms and, and plant themselves in that, that space with you or go plant a similar thing in a, in a few neighborhoods down the road. And I think that's kind of how you answer I think, some of the change that's going on around. So it's, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of church plants, though, um, aim always at what's at what's new. So, like, you know, and, and so NPR recently had, they were talking about starting things, and they had a church planter um, that they interviewed, which I haven't heard. I've, I actually really want to go listen to it. I just haven't done it yet. I heard about it a little while ago. But the, the feedback I've gotten from it is that the church planting that they discussed was very market driven very like seeking to be the cutting edge seeking to meet you know the the newest group of people in the most um i don't know relevant way or whatever and so it was very like it sounded very much like starting a business and and i think that some people probably were like oh cool i get that and other people were a little repulsed right um and so a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of church plants aren't thinking about, like, locale and the history of a place and, like, rooting in and being neighbors no matter what. Like, a lot of church plants, to me, feel like they have a, a, a time stamp on them. Yes. Like, they're, they're very much just, they're like the new boutique store that you know, like, this will go out of style and it will close or just morph and be bought by Amazon or something. Right, like, right. Um, and a lot of church plants feel that way. And um, I don't, I mean, I wonder how ours feels, you know, to, to people. But what I what I long for, what I want, is to be connected to the history of a place, um, to be connected to the people who are there and walk with them, as you're saying, through change and even Fulfill help. Need that's in the community. Yeah, and just be a, be a neighbor and a friend versus, like, the just the new hip thing um, I mean, what worries me about some church plants is that they plant in a place where there's all this history, but then the only people that show up are new to the area um, who are disconnected from the history. Um, I think that's like like when it comes to Hillsong, what worries me is like, is this coming out of a deep commitment to this place or a deep commitment to Hillsongism? Um, what, you know, term coined. Hillsongism, but right. like heard it here, it's going to be tagged. Hillsongism, yeah. <laughs> but it, but that's what I, I fear is like, does this, do they care what community they actually land in, or are they just trying to gather young cool people who like guitar riffs? Um, you know, and then I go back and forth on, does that matter? Would I have gone to Hillsong when I was younger? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would have. Um, but I guess like where I'm at today is I just want, I want church to be less about just like exporting a church model whether it's Acts 29-ism or Hillsong-ism or Andy Stanley-ism or whatever it is. Uh, Andy Littleton-ism? Yeah. Well, that's a big thing. That's a big problem in the church right now. That's a big problem. (laughs) But are we just like, are we just trying to like 
do that version of a cool thing or are we a part of a community sure. seeking to do church for them with them in mind right well I, I think and I think the other thing we have to be conscious of is that in church history at least in the Reformation history there was a lot of critique and particularly American church uh, over the last 250 years it, it's critiqued itself its leaders yeah. have critiqued itself they, they've gone after Which is each other they thing. wrote articles about how the other was going to hell blah 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 well that's probably not that's not probably so good, a bit far you know, but, but it's well, good Whitfield to call the question that, Wesley was in that yeah. they, and, and it's kind of how the church grows it's kind of a discontent with what's happening right. and so people step out and say okay well if I'm discontent with this and I'm called then what do I do Right. And I think so, you know, this podcast sometimes criticizes Hillsong, but Hillsong transforms, Jesus uses Hillsong to transform people's lives. Right. He's not like, well, Hillsong is stupid, so I'm not going to do anything with it. No. It's, he does a lot of amazing things. He does there. a lot of amazing things there. Yeah. It has some issues that, that I would not want to be part of. And there's a lot of things, you know, in the village is the same way, in Mission Church is the same way. There's a cost to it, for sure. Yeah, there, there's always cost. Probably the, the historical parallel that I could think of would be revivalism in America, like Charles Finney, and which they called Finneyism, I think, which is funny. <laughs> well, um, right. but, but you know he, that Charles Finney actually thought he was uh, the next, um, what's his name, the reformed evangelist and... Martin Luther? No. No. No, no, no. Ameri- the greatest American theologian. Why am I blanking his name? Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards. He used to say yeah. he was the, the continuation of Jonathan Edwards, which well, really foreign people roll over in there. Yeah, sure. But the, yeah. But so he's doing these huge meetings, gathering all these people. I mean, this is like, what, you know, what Billy Sunday did, what guys like that. Who And so then the local church at first was like we need you basically like because nobody's interested in what we're doing so that the local church is trying to take people to the revivals and then it turns out people like the revivals more than the local church stop going to the local church right and then when the revivalist you know either stops touring or you know turns out to not be as great a guy as everybody thought um these people don't have a church anymore so the long term what people looked back and saw was that the revivals they they did people came to Christ at the revivals my mom did mm-hmm. came to Christ at a revival so people like learned about Christ were intrigued but then the staying power of the revival and how it impacted the local church was negative so there's ups and downs right um, so I would I would assume stuff like the mega church movement which is in a way like kind of diminishing it right now but I, I would say it is a similar phenomenon where it draws people it's interesting it's um, I feel the same way about camps right and I worked at a camp for a very long time and I I would see that and I feel like that was happening I didn't feel comfortable being a part of it but overall I felt like I just needed to trust that God was going to do like the best with what we had in the camp had right and I find myself trying not to be super critical about it yeah, and super critical about camps, um, especially because I've known people that have greatly benefited and view camps very highly. One of the things that uh, I noticed was well, my one of my old youth pastors, and he was one of my old mentors. He he's uh, actually starting a church in Arizona. Yeah, uh, and he's worked on a lot of mega churches. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it, it's called Prodigal Church, and. Uh, at first, I was I, I've 
tend to be very, very critical very fast sometimes, and I always have to, like, kind of step back. Yeah. And I was very, and I, I love him, but I'm also very concerned about, like, where he was going and where he was doing. And I, I was talking to my older brother about it, who uh, he studied in ministry, and a, a part of his studies was a lot in church planning. Yeah. And he kind of put my mind at rest a little bit, and he, he was talking about how sometimes they can't go where they want to initially and maybe they do have a heart to fill that need but there's no way that they can actually land there initially and they have to like build up this thing but I know that it's so hard to it's so kind of the way that some churches might soft pedal the gospel and then they actually never get to it and they yeah. can talk a lot about morality and sure they build up pretty fast but it's not sustaining right it's not talking about actual transformation but I do I mean I guess like I want to pull this this together a little bit because now we're, we're talking about the church a lot we kind of skipped over yeah, the, skipped the tucson, tucson what tucson needs but there's i mean i think i think these are linked because we're talking about like you know tucson embracing like the the forward pushing thing and i think what part of tucson is kind of screaming back is like don't forget who we are and our history right and and i don't think it's i guess and even i'm concluding as we talk here Maybe it's not like one or the other. It's you really need to strike some form of balance where you don't just like push forward and knock down everything that once was. Uh, but then again, being resistant to the the next wave is also detrimental to you because you know just just like in the church, I've noticed like you know a simultaneous problem is when young people disregard the old and when old don't trust the young and let them try the things that God's put in their heart. Um, and so I would assume the same would be true in a city. Like the new generation, the new idea, the new method, um, like m- there must be space for that. Um, but then you don't want to just come in and trample down what was. Right. And, and I wonder, I, I assume those tendencies come from a deeper place. It's not just practical. It's, you know, I, I would assume there's there's more to it like why we don't value the past some of us and why some of us don't trust the future like why we can't entrust our lives to what will come and the change that's right well i was just thinking about tucson and so there in the articles there's a couple things that aren't completely true so for instance if you want a job in tucson you can get a job tomorrow yeah every person that i've met has no trouble getting a job just it's not a high-end job. High-end job. You can get a minimum wage job. Right. Um, and it's not difficult. Right. So that's not... And people come here... I don't know how many conversations I've had with people. The reason they came is it's easy to get a job. Yeah. But they're not college educated. Right. So that's, that's problem number one. Problem and I think he is writing to right. about and to yes. highly educated folks. Yes. Problem but doesn't two, state that. We are a university city. Right. Education costs way too much for that group of people who right. are trying to get a job beyond right. the minimum wage jobs that are all available in Tucson. So then you have that. to get a very high-paying job. Yes. Which, you know, that could be called into question. Is that right? like spending so much on your education to where you have to get an extremely high-paying job? Should that always... Is that just a the rational path? And we're not we're not committed to dealing with poverty in our city. Mm, yeah. Um, not from a from a larger 
like systematic, systematic yeah. thing. We are as churches or as social institutions that are attempting to do those things, but we're not trying to lift up the body. Right. And I think until we're willing to do that, I don't think we're going to be a different city. We're going to be a city of low-wage earners with places like IBM, Raytheon, Caterpillar, um, and the university, and, and the junior college, like and the hospitals being our main employers. Right. And then we have the military. If right. the military leaves Tucson, Tucson will become a ghost town. It'll, it would change dramatically. Yeah. And thankfully, it looks like that's only going to be growing. Right. Yeah, thankfully. I forgot we had a military expert here who loves to talk about himself and the military, right? Well, yeah, it was, don't you? he was outed as a spy last week, so he's got to yeah. keep it hush hush. Yeah, yeah. De- <laughs> definitely. I'm definitely. And he's been complaining about last week's uh, podcast no, ever no, since. No, no, I, I mean, subtly. Um, I'm just kidding, Brian. I love you, man. I'm more, I'm more inclined to like just paradise it and make a joke of it. And, I know, you know, I because I, I don't like talking about. My military experience, or whatever. Yeah, I think there will be a time when I do, How but like while I'm in it, I, I feel like I'm inclined to kind of approach it and talk about it in a certain way. I feel like I'm supposed to, and I'm about to answer question. I feel like I'm supposed to act a certain way when I, that kind of comes up. So well, you okay, should. and I yeah, exactly. But well, like um, maybe. So, so that's why I kind of reserve You're still myself. Brian. Yeah, but uh, I've been in for. Uh, almost five years. It'll be five years in November, and I have one year left, and then I can be like, whatever. But until then, like, you, I, I feel more inclined. Are you going to re-enlist? Uh, no. no I, so. I'm, I'm like 80 to 90 percent sure. Get up yeah. for your GI Bill, and you'll go. Uh, yeah, and most likely, like 90 percent chance that I'll end up here in Tucson. Uh, uh, that's kind of the plan. Cool. And there's like a small percentage of me going to Phoenix or New York. And just Whoa. like, yeah, New York's a really big risk, but that's like. I, I see a little chance of that happening, even though there's a big desire there. He's trying to get into stand-up in New York. Yeah, that's what would, would be the hope, like the hope. But um, to me it's going like imagine t- if Jerry Seinfeld had come out of six years in the military, how funny he'd be. <laughs> I don't really. I, I think Jerry is funny in himself, but his stand-up isn't this. It's it's good, but it's not like the pinnacle of stand-up. No. I don't so think that he, he feels military, that way. Maybe he'd be funny. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't think he. I think he just works hard. I yes, mean, he does yeah, work. That's hard. Yeah. that's what I think is the ticket for him. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I would be that funny. It's just my work ethic would be in it, if anything. But, yeah. Uh, I don't think I am what Tucson needs though. So we should determine that. <laughs> <laughs> as a stand-up comedian, or just as a man, well, I have to a lot commit of... to being part of a community. And, and serving God in that community. I, I literally think about what Tucson needs every day in terms of what I can provide. Wow. Uh, in, like, practical ways for me to invest in local businesses. Uh, and I serving the community, like the homeless, uh, whatever church community I end up in, uh, etc. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure what it would actually look like for when I, when I return. Uh, especially because I've got a year left in Korea and I want to do that well and end well in my military career. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think about it all the time. Well, but it seems like that you're kind of a Tucsonan. Yeah, and I really loved it. I loved my, uh, the community that I was in prior to leaving Tucson. Um, but I also don't want to be naive. It was like, if God calls me elsewhere... Uh, whether like Tucson, New York, or Phoenix, and Phoenix would be very much like me investing in my family. 
Not Hillsong. Hillsong's stand-up comedian. Oh, gosh. That's you mean pastor? Possible. No. Oh, oh worst. Okay. Okay. Wow. First, on, first that, on that note, I'm I think pastor of Hillsong. <laughs> thank you for being yeah, with well, us. And equating pastoring Hillsong with being a stand-up comedian that was just offensive. And I'm glad Eric and I didn't say it because <laughs> as pastors, but you're a military oh, I can guy. Say whatever you can say whatever you want. So well, um, and there it is. I think There's that train, train is Brian train. trying to tell us this podcast has gone on long enough. It has. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it, Brian. Good to have you here. Uh, thank you. So thank you for having me. It's great to be back. And thank you for listening and tuning in to Faith Over Breakfast, the podcast. Yeah. Join us next week.